your incredible ideas of what you thought yoga sutras were, and you also told me what yoga means to you or what brought you to the mat. So as we go through this process together and we learn about the sutras, we are going to learn some really interesting things about how this whole practice is the purpose of inner work. So I love the fact, um, Carly, when you said that, because it is a lot of inner work. And I make a joke all the time, but I think that Patanjali was the first psychotherapist. Because it helped. It's all about really finding your inner light and your truth and joy and not letting the minutiae of the moment or the ruminating thoughts kind of pull you down, but how to find contentment in every moment, moment-to-moment -moment awareness. Cool? So you have two handouts. One that we're going to read out loud together, which is the Yoga Sutras, the collection of aphorisms. There are four books, and it's just line by line. And we're, that's why we're sitting in a circle, so we can talk and say it together and discuss it. The other handout you have is a cheat sheet to the sutras. Right? Says my name, cheat sheet to the sutras. Uh, I truly believe that pranayama and meditation are going to change the world. I truly believe that yoga, or actually how you say it, um, if you were like a native like um, Hindu individual or um, someone who uh, studied Sanskrit, it's yoga. And then you move your head from side to side, like a bobblehead. Yoga. Anytime you ask someone when you're overseas and you say like, yes, they go, like you're saying no. <laughs> So a lot of bobble hunting. But I do believe that um, what we're going to do tonight and next week is to study the timeless principles that are relatable in the universe. And everything that we're going to be talking about is how to dive inward in this inner journey to lead to joy. So you're going to the heart of the matter, okay? And everything that we're going to talk about is kind of the framework for why you came to the mat whether it be health or pain or going inward to escape challenging situations, to create reconnections from disconnections, whether it was um, uh, your mom brought you to the mat, whether it was love for yourself or for your family or to be a better person or that you want to like, you know, peace, love to everyone in the universe and be a big old hippie. It's all good. Um, if you turn to that cheat sheet, we're going to just talk about that first page first. The Yoga Sutras is a concise work that describes an early stage in the philosophy and practice of yoga. And this work shows dualist and Buddhist influences. So I put an appendix in here at the end so that you would kind of understand. I don't want to dive too deep into the idea of dualism because sometimes it gets really um, dicey and it leads to a whole kind of tangent. One thing that I want to say is that we live in a monotheistic culture, right? And you know what monotheism is? One, one, God. one God, right? So like Judaism or Christianity and Islam, it says here, the three main Abrahamic religions where only one supreme being exists. 
What we're going to talk about is dualism in the sense of yoga, is we're going to talk about something um, from Samkhya philosophy, okay? And we'll start to understand more about that, but uh, I don't want to really dive into it, but I want you to know where this comes from and give you a bit of an understanding, right? Because we're kind of getting yoga sutras light because we only have four hours together. It's not that much time. Uh, if you're interested in yoga and meditation, yoga sutras is basically required reading. Okay? So I loved when we checked in and you came to the mat with not even knowing what the sutras were. Right? You came to the mat because internally something was like, I can heal something that's painful. I can help my body and mind and heart find integration and wholeness. But you had no idea that yoga is an art, science, and a philosophy practice. And really the essence of it was based and rooted in this um, idea of the sutras. It's kind of cool that we're all here to learn together. It's said to be the most enlightening spiritual document of all time, and it's a guidebook to classical Raja Yoga. What does Raja mean? Royal, right? Regal. So it's a regal practice. It's something that helps you to get into that state of brightness and luminosity and harmony. And it's nearly or older than 2,000 years old, right? So it's like really sacred and complex. And it's an Eastern philosophy, but it's not something that was like just from one specific region. I think it had influences from a lot of different areas, right? And um, these 196 compact aphorisms are observations on the nature of consciousness and liberation. So what do you think liberation means? Because it's a word that yoga teachers use a lot. Freedom? Freedom, yeah. What's the Sanskrit word for it? Moksha, yes, very good. Moksha, liberation and freedom. So it's a beautiful word, and it's a word that you can often see used. There's even rock bands named Moksha. It's kind of cool. There's a great yoga studio if you ever go to Chicago. It's Moksha. It's more Ashtanga-based, but still cool. Um, uh, what I like about this is that this cuts to the heart of the human dilemma. Um, because we're really going to talk about authenticity and not ego, because its purpose is about inner work and insight. Yoga begins, to me, with listening, right? So maybe internally something said to you, I need to come to the mat, but it's all about human inquiry. That's really a huge part of what you're doing when you lead yourself to freedom. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about, is what the Yoga Sutras believe is that path to get you there through book one, book two, book three, and book four. Everybody's still good? Mm -hmm. Awesome. We're working to bring consciousness to a state of stillness. Stillness for some people is really scary, right? When you allow yourself to slow down, 
that's a lot of times when the real shit stops bubbling up, right? Uh-huh. And the whole idea of what we're trying to do is just be like, turn the volume down on the radio so the inside isn't going, Ooh, you know, or playing like some hardcore rock music or like, you know, what was that movie I just saw? Um, uh, it was like one of those um, Mad Max movies where he's tied to the front of the car and they're driving through the desert and he's playing this like really crazy music and it's just like everything's just like crazy loud um, but that loudness and is there for most people and so we're trying to find stillness and we're trying to let ourselves let the samskara so we'll talk about this a lot samskara is the broken records the thoughts right and they say that samskaras are poison. Hala hala. Mohashamthiri. So we're trying to let go of the broken records and get out of that groove that's really effing you up and jacking up your body, your mind, your heart, and making all of these kind of inappropriate decisions in your life. And all of a sudden, bringing you to a state of awareness and authenticity where you can be and get rid of the poison, the things that are like stuck to you. Right? And be able to really shine brightly and be regal, right? Because we all have that crown if we think about the chakras. We all resonate. Some people might even in here be able to see auras because, like physics, we all are energy. That's kind of cool. The path to realization. What we're going to learn through these four books is that it gives us a program on how to fill the primary purpose of consciousness. Because some people, when they get caught up in that, they do bad things. Or they don't really know why they're doing certain things because they're just following something blind. Right? So we are going to go on this inward quest to realize our true nature. And in turn, because of this, it's a way to extract happiness and contentment and meaning from the mysteries of life, consciousness, and mortality. And I want you to know that happiness is used so often, right? You have to be happy, and if you're not happy, and Oprah says we're supposed to be happy, and so if we're not happy, oh my God, something's wrong with me, right? But in the sutras, it talks less about the idea of happiness, and it talks more about the idea of contentment, ease, gentleness, right? Because happy is kind of like, Joy and happy are, you know, all these words are so heavy and laden with so much different um, um, connotations. The intent of this book is to be able to guide you to contentment so that instead of like, you know, sine waves where we have our high highs and our low lows, but how can we kind of like ride the wave of the breath but not become those high highs and low lows, but have this beautiful, like, uh, this bliss body, right? Because that's our true nature. That's what spirit wants. That's what we're here to do. And people just took a detour. Where the book is going to help us to get back on track. Cool. Pure awareness you're going to learn, resides impervious at the core of each and every kind of sensation, thought, and feeling, whether we see it, which is vidya, 
and that's our true identity, or not, avidya, which is ignorance, and the routes to knowing this freedom fully is yoga. So if anybody's around at 11 o'clock to 12.30 tomorrow, I'm teaching Natya Rajasana, the dancer pose, and dancer is all about avidya. It's the creator and the destroyer, and you're finding how to find balance in the dance of life, to live wholeheartedly, to live authentically, which is pretty much what this text is about. Um, one thing that I really, really want you to think about is AA is a brilliant program for anybody who's in it or anybody you know who's done it. Um, because yoga is a lifestyle. Yoga is habitual. You can't say like, oh, I'm going to skip it or I'm going to take like time off because there's so many different ways to be yogic. Right? You're all yoginis and yogins. You all have so many avenues, whether it's painting or drawing or cooking or hugging your favorite person or putting your tush to the cushion, meditating. You know, it doesn't have to always be a physical practice. But how are you off the mat? That's yoga and that's habitual. And most importantly, and what we're going to really talk a lot about, is the idea of ahimsa and self-care. That in thought, in speech, and in action, you are cohesive, right? That you are literally um, whole. And living life, like uh, anybody ever read Brene Brown? Mm -hmm. Or like Eckhart Tolle, or all of that stuff? It's like, you have to live wholeheartedly, right? Huge marketing self-help right now. We already had this book as yogis a long time ago. We just forgot who we were. Basically, um, because this is a habitual practice, and I listed all, all these cool modalities that you can do, this basically is a text on meditation. How many people meditate? Mm -hmm. It's all good. Moving meditation is good. Walking in the nature is a meditation. You know, there's so many different ways to meditate. But um, we're going to see how in these four books, there's only about two to six sutras that are about movement practice. Mm -hmm. That is interesting, right? Because our culture, especially in the West, we think that yoga is all about the pretty pictures we see on Instagram or the clothes, right? It's become like, you know, I feel lucky because I don't have to worry about my wardrobe much, right? Because it's become a uniform. But the idea of the clothing and the marketplace for the clothing and that, that it, it's not about what you look like. It's about who you are inside and what that insight and joy is as you bring that freedom to yourself and to others in the universe. You could have the suckiest yoga practice but be the most yogic person in the world. It's pretty amazing. And as teachers, what's gonna happen is when you go out there in the universe and you start to like meet people and you start to like engage with others um, as, a, as, a, as a teacher, you'll really start to notice who's the student who really has that you know, essence and who's the student who's kind of just like um, there as a fitness class. You know, who's living it and who's just really wants to get a workout. This book is telling you it is a work in. 
And the gross, the external practice, is just some of the limbs, but it's actually all the limbs that we're going to talk about in book two are internal. Cool. I don't know, I get really jazzed about this. Is anybody else excited? Okay. Because a lot of people, you know, they teach the sutras and then you just don't resonate with it. I want you all to walk out and love this as much as I do. So if you have any questions after, you, you can all contact me anyway. But I want to make sure that you like get into it and comprehend it. And maybe you're not going to love it today, but maybe like five years later, you'll send me an email and be like, oh my god. Do you know what sutra means without looking at your teaching? sheet? No. Cool. This is awesome. Okay. Sutra are words of wisdom. Sutra is a thread, which could be a string or a lace. It also has been translated as a line. That holds things together and is derived from the verbal root siv, meaning to sew. So I like to think of this as rules hanging together like threads or interconnection. What I also like to kind of visualize it when I'm doing my moving meditation or a physical practice is that every inhale your rib cages expand and every exhale your rib cages stitch together because we're just a vessel or a pot and we're using our body as a temple to churn and make things into dough and yummy, gooey goodness and like literally rinse out the dregs, the icky stuff, so that we can be this whole pure being. So every breath that we take, every movement that we make on the mat, our ribs become the sutra of the yoga. Every inhale and exhale, if that's your practice for the day, your breath work practice becomes the sutra. All right, so I had um, mentioned his name already, and I always think that the first celebrity yogi, and then I got a picture of it for you, if no one's ever seen Patanjali. This is Patanjali, we'll pass him around. Um, I always think that um, because this person, Patanjali, is person, uh, the personal history is shrouded in mystery and myth, I always like to think that, you know, they call him a he, right? Because he's a god. Or a, uh, but I want to think of it, it could be a he or a she that lived around the second century BC. So pata means falling down. And anjali is consciousness coming into you. Okay? So if you think about it, what is this mudra that I have here when my palms are pressing together and my shoulders are open and my hands are in front of my heart? Anjali mudra, right? Consciousness falling into you. I'm holding my heart in my hands and I'm showing the balance of my left and right brain and I'm showing 
the yoke, the yoking, the union, that joining together. So that really everybody already is Patanjali. We already know this stuff. We're just letting it come back to the surface because maybe life has kind of shoved it down. And Patanjali was a Renaissance person, um, wrote about science and Ayurveda and Sanskrit. So some of you might be into Ayurvedic medicine, Ayurvedic kind of like doshas, different kind of stuff like that, eating a certain stuff way, right? You've all heard the word Ayurveda, okay? So they kind of go hand in hand with yoga because yogis, as yogis, we're seekers and we're Renaissance people. And we probably have a lot of knowledge about other subjects that we bring to the table as we teach, right? Think that's true? Mm -hmm. Okay. Sanskrit is an ancient language that um, was either memorized or chanted, and it's usually these sutras are in rhyme or um, rhythm, so it's pretty easy to kind of learn these aphorisms, these 196 aphorisms, but we're going to be teaching them together tonight and saying them, we're going to actually just say the English. I won't freak you out and have you like learn Sanskrit overnight because that's another teacher's role. <laughs> yeah. um, I have a great uh, a friend and teacher, Manju Joyce, who's Patabi Joyce's second son, and he always says that, oh, Americans sing anyways, because we don't really say it the way that it was taken down from in the older times from guru to student. We just sing because we're Americans. So we never will ever do anything um, wrong because we're just trying. Yeah? But it might not be the way that it was from ancient lore and ancient wisdom and tradition. Uh, but what I think is interesting about the word Sanskrit is do you know what the word Sanskrit means in Sanskrit? So as yoga teachers, we're not supposed to teach and practice at the same time, right? Unless you like really have some newbies and you have to show them because you don't know exactly what the heck is going on. But anytime you say a Sanskrit word, even if we're Americans and we sing it and we're not saying it properly, right? And we're not learning from a you know famous Sanskrit scholar, the fact that we're trying means that we're polishing through the resonance of our voice, we are massaging the central nervous system and we're energetically creating changes in our neurological pathways. Because Sanskrit is to polish. So by saying a word as a teacher when you're teaching actually is your yoga practice for that day. It's kind of cool. Um, Let's continue on my little bullet points here. Um, Patanjali, whomever Patanjali was, was credited with expounding yoga's teachings and writing them down because they used to be passed down orally from teacher to student. So there was that guru, and guru could be mean a bridge. Guru could be um, um, someone's opinion. But always remember, do you know what the word guru means? This is so fun. Um, out of the darkness and into the light. Guru. 
Um, have you ever met a Svengali? You know what the word Svengali means? Have you ever been in like a weird situation because you felt glamoured, like in um, Twilight movie from the vampire? <laughs> Kelly's laughing at me, but have you ever had someone who kind of like is a charmer and like kind of pulls you in a direction that maybe you wouldn't have gone, but you're like, oh my god, he's got charismatic, and I just like want to be that, and like kind of like would do whatever that person said. Yeah. Okay. FBI, right, or FYI. Um, there are people like that in the yoga world, right? There are people out like that anywhere. And you have to always, always remember that the guru resides within. If someone told you to do something that you knew was probably bad, which they could. As a yoga teacher, there's lots of weird stuff that's been happening. Weird things that have happened and transpired over the years in yoga, in different evolutions and phases. So you always, always remember that because this is about an experience, there's X amount of people in here, there's like 15 of us, we're all having a totally different experience. Some of you might be thinking about dinner. Some of you think about the noise outside, or the lights, or like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I had to move away from the wall. I really want to lean against something, right? There's so many things that could be going on in our heads, past, present, future, but the thing is, is that we're all here for this human experience, and we have to remember that the guru is always within. It might have gotten dimmed or whatever, and like, but we have a portable paradise within our hearts, and we have to remember that, and that's we're, we might be learning from a teacher, but you are your best teacher. Um, and that um, when you're learning all of this amazing stuff, you want to make sure that even though the stuff is falling down from heaven and you have sacred knowledge coming from the heart, it's something you might be reading. It's something you might be experiencing in a class with someone's intention or theme. It's already there because you are your own guru. So trust your heart. Trust your feelings. That inner wisdom because that's exactly what we're trying to cultivate and nurture through this practice. Uh, one thing is, is that as we're learning about this um, Patanjali, the, the falling down from heaven, this amazing individual, is that it's sitting on a coiled snake. Did you see that when you were looking at the picture? Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to make reference to this because there's all kinds of other amazing symbols there. He's holding a, chunk, a, a conch shell and a chakra, and there's nagas, there's um, snakes, and they're sitting on a lotus flower petal which rises out of any muck or mire or gross stuff and still blossoms 10,000 fold, right? That radiance, the regalness of your raja, the brilliance and the brightness. Mm -hmm. But it's on a three-coiled snake and it, to me, and this is just my opinion, you can like find your own experience and your own wisdom behind it, but it's uncoiling 
like kundalini, like tantric practices. We're uncoiling the first, second, and third energetic points in our bodies. Our feeling of groundedness, our feeling of being safe in space, our feeling of being able to provide, right? Food, you know, those basic essence elements. And you're, he's, he, this Hindu deity is sitting on the snake that needs to be uncoiled, right? Which in turn makes me think about how the yogic wisdom starts to kind of show us. Have you ever seen a doctor symbol? Right? What's a doctor symbol called? Hmm. Okay, I'm going to either pronounce it right or wrong. It's either a caduceus or a catechus. So you know how it's got the snakes that are uncoiling, and it's got the rod down the center, that beautiful hara line, that golden line, and it's got a bulb on the top, and then it has wings. That, to me, is what Patanjali is helping you to uncoil, so that you can uncoil those beautiful Ida and Pingala nadis and open up the Shushumna nadi to get into higher states of consciousness so that your wings, which are your right and left hemispheres, can open up. So through this insight practice of yoga, you can find joy. So that you can really, like, be free. Right? Wings of a bird. And we'll learn through the texts and through our discussion that, can you fly with one wing? No. No. One wing. Most of us, if we have different phases of evolution, this is your ballywick. We have the wounded child, the adapted child, and we have the kind of like fully fleshed out rock star human, right? Most of us have a broken wing. We're just dancing through life. And then one day something happens and you turn into a pile of goo, right? because you weren't fully fleshed out. And this text, the sutras, help you to really, was that right? Was I right? In those three things, okay. Oh, just checking with the real doctor. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I, was, I tell people like, I'm not a doctor, I just play one on TV, right? Because you're gonna have a lot of students come up and ask you questions, and you're gonna be like, okay. Have you talked to a real doctor? <laughs> this is my experience or in my opinion because we have to be really careful about that but um, yeah we have all these different uh, phases as human and I really truly believe that this is all about not the ego but uncoiling the serpentine snake and these words falling from heaven from Patanjali are helping us to tap into our authenticity and be free and be the person that we were meant to be. Oh, maybe that's why they call free to be you and me, free to be you and me. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about before we um, move on to actually reading the first chapter is that uh, the key concepts that we're going to discuss here, and I put them here, so if you all tune out in your own personal experience for the couple hours that we're together for these two weeks, you have this cheat sheet to be like, oh, cool, okay, I know what it is. So I can go into my class 
and like say something intelligent about yoga and really kind of just like just be on the surface of it. But at least I'll be your students will be like, cool, Amy knows everything. <laughs> I'm gonna take her class. <laughs> yeah. So Purusha is consciousness and Prakriti is matter. And then we've got Shtira Sukha Asana, which is motion and stillness. Or it could be defined Shtira Sukha Asana, which is effort and effortlessness. This is a huge little chunk of words from the sutras that you'll really want to know about. What's interesting to me about the idea of Shtira Sukha Asana, and we'll dive deeper into it when we get to it in the text, but it's very similar to the word of the yoga style that most people practice. Ha, ta. Ha and ta. What are ha and ta? Sun and moon. Because we, oh, okay. Americans call it hatha yoga. I do hatha yoga. But it's actually hatha yoga. Hatha. So ha is, right, the sun and the moon, ta. And it's always about finding the positive and negative, the good and bad. What are some other opposites? Hot and cold. Black and white. Black and white. Light and dark. Light and dark. <clears throat> right? But that's exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about shtira sukha. And this is what we're kind of finding that we're always in this infinite loop between the shtira, your strength, and the sukha, the sweetness, right? So, if you went to Italy and you had some pasta, right? If it was really mushy and gooey, would it taste good? Okay, if it was given to you on a plate in straight sticks and rods, like a piece of wood, would you like it? No. But if it was like al dente, right? If it was just kind of in between, right? It was that beautiful, like, in-between state, that fluidity, where everything's interconnected and everything's just like, oh my god, how did they cook this? This is incredible. That is what Shtira Sukha is all about. Balancing out the motion and the stillness, the effortless and the effort, so that you find balance. But let me tell you, the idea of effortless effort Sounds really easy, but it's not. It's super hard to find that equanimity. You know, because it is not black and white. It's always constantly changing. That's why, I mean, we're basically in a physics class. We are energy. Our practice is energy. You'll see your students who are forcing a triangle, and you'll see a student who's collapsing in a triangle. How do you use your breath to create the balance of the scales. In yoga, um, scale is tola, tolasana. Um, it's a final pose for an ashtanga practice. But hey, you know, you sit in lotus pose, padmasana, and you lift yourself up off the ground, and you take a bunch of deep breaths, okay? You've seen the lawyer symbol, right? That's the symbol for tolasana. It's like the scales. It's life. Okay, and then I wrote down some little notes here today. 
We are working to be at home with all experiences and things as they are. This is all about listening. In order to find the joy and the insight, um, human inquiry, you know, it's about how do we kind of come into reality in our body, our mind, and our heart? How do we find wholeness? And this tradition of the sutras is a mixture of many ancient traditions of Eastern philosophy, right? So it's more of an Eastern bent. And because the history is complex, and we don't really know who Patanjali is, male, female, or group of individual, we're really want to remember that this is all about the reflection of meaning and kind of like investigations of reality and meaning and philosophy that we're going to be studying. And these universal laws and principles and ethics, so someone said that. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like what Leanne was talking about, about um, the idea of like these are moral precepts or maybe the golden rules, right? We're kind of just finding different ways to get to the heart of every um, school of thought to then mix it all together to come up with the sutras. And as I had said before, we're all having our own human experiences in these bodies that are just made up of tubes and water. So if our skin was off and we turned the heat on, we'd all just be like blobs of goo. I think there is a cartoon character that is a blob of goo, but... <laughs> But we would, we would just be like a bunch of blobs. All of us are really unique. And through yoga, we awaken into the idea of being, consciousness of mind. And we realize that we are not going to hold on to these fluctuations of the mind. We're going to find stillness and space. And we're gonna, not going to identify with the mind stuff. Because when we release it, the whole idea we're going to find is that we become inwardly free. My little baby violin playing. So that's what we're going to learn tonight. Basically, timeless principles that are relatable, that set you free, and allow you to have balance, health, and harmony. But until you experience it, you all have to think it's just a bunch of hoo-ha. I want you to really experience everything for yourself and let that guru within find it. So if you flip the page and put a big smile on your face, we'll begin, which is, Ata, now is the time. <laughs> 